Joining us now is the uh, president of the New York Federal Reserve. That is John Williams. John, how are you? Doing great, Brian. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Uh, so let's just get right into it. Uh, I want to ask about the economic outlook. We did get numbers this morning on retail sales showing a pretty nice rebound in June. But then on the other hand, you have 17 million Americans uh, still turning to unemployment insurance. Uh, and that when you couple it with the epidemiological numbers, I guess I'm just wondering, do you still see the baseline as a recovery in the second half of this year, as I uh, think you said back in May? Yeah, you know, you've highlighted a bunch of the cross currents that we're trying to analyze and understand. And of course, there's just an enormous amount of uncertainty. Uh, and the uncertainty really stems directly with, uh, you know, the coronavirus and the pand pandemic and, and how that uh, behaves and, and how effective and successful the efforts to contain it at the same time to bring the economy uh, uh, back up to full speed. So right now, the way I'm reading it is still consistent with you know, how you described it, I think we've, I've been talking about it. I expect the second half to be a continued uh, period of uh, economic recovery. But still, you know, we're in a very deep hole. Unemployment is, you know, over 11%. We have a long ways to go to get back to full strength. Uh, my hope is, is, though, that we'll continue to see positive signs of a, a gradual recovery over the second half of this year uh, into next year. But right now, this is a kind of critical inflection point. We're seeing these mixed signals in different states, where the states where the case uh, the number of new cases has been rising. We're definitely seeing people pull back from going to restaurants and, and other things. While in states like where I am in New York around here, we are still seeing steady improvement in terms of people getting back to work and going out to, to you know, to restaurants and things like that. So it's, it's a, you know, kind of a complicated situation. And we're watching all that, you know, high frequency data uh, very closely to see what's going on. So something that was interesting from the Beige book that was just released yesterday was that in New York, this was the case in many other districts as well, uh, there were stories of furloughed workers that have now been laid off permanently. And I guess I'm wondering what you're seeing specifically in the second district, again, covers New York, parts of New Jersey, Connecticut, uh, Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands. Um, what are you seeing there? You mentioned also earlier this morning that you think it's going to be essential for fiscal authorities to, quote, put cash directly in the hands of Americans. Based off of what you're seeing in the district, what would that look like? Is that an extension of UI, maybe more PPP, for example? Yeah, so what we are seeing and what I'm hearing is definitely that this obviously is a situation where a lot of employers don't have demand for their products and services, whether you're restaurants or other, you know, um, uh, you know, businesses, uh, they are having to, to lay off workers despite their efforts and despite the PPP and other programs have been there uh, to provide uh, support to businesses and, and obviously to the unemployed uh, and to households more generally. So I, I would take two uh, kind of signals from what we're seeing is obviously this is going to be a longer, more drawn out period of getting through the pandemic. I think that, you know, we're, you know, businesses are struggling uh, because they don't have revenue. Uh, state and local governments are struggling because they don't have uh, tax revenue or other sources of, of revenue right now. Uh, and I do think an important lesson of the past few months is that the federal uh, actions, and I really don't think of this as stimulus, I really think of these as actions to, to help support, uh, you know, basically tr uh, grants and transfers to households and businesses has been absolutely critically important. Uh, it's meant that people who've lost their jobs have been able to continue to pay their rent, put food on the table, it's also the PPP uh, program, which, you know, it's obviously had its challenges, has been, I've heard this from businesses in our district, has been effective at getting, you know, money to the small businesses so they can keep going and hopefully come back. 
So my lesson from this is these have been effective tools. I'm not saying what Congress should or shouldn't do specifically, but this has been effective at dealing with the situation through July. Uh, and I think you know, or there are lessons to draw from that in terms of getting us through the next six months. Uh, in the meantime, the Federal Reserve has pinned interest rates uh, near zero. Uh, but I want to chat about something fun now, forward guidance, right? And I know that you can only speak for yourself, but um, what's your preferred method of messaging to the market how long you will keep rates at the zero bound, especially now that there's been this discussion, as the minutes have noted, uh, of Federal Reserve officials maybe playing around with the idea of an objective-based uh, forward guidance that perhaps might be pinned to inflation, for example? Well, as you know, you know, over the uh, recovery period and the expansion following the a global financial crisis, we did use forward guidance pretty aggressively and I think very successfully starting in 2011. We did try different versions of that, you know, what we call, you know, date-based versus, you know, contingent uh, uh, guidance. Uh, and I think what the lessons from that is, you know, when market expectations or the public's understanding of what the Fed's likely to do gets out of sync with our own thinking, the forward guidance has, has proven to be helpful to help uh, people understand how we're viewing monetary policy you know, right now, I actually think that are our, our, the guidance that we do have in there, which is maybe more kind of descriptive uh, than formal uh, forward guidance is, is, is serving us well. So we do have some time to think about how we should evolve that guidance as, going, uh, as you know, we go forward. To me, the critical thing is what's the problem we're trying to solve? Right now, we're still trying to fit, you know, all of us are trying to figure out where is the economy going today? Where is it likely to go and, and, and learn from the experience of, you know, over the next few months? And from that position, we can really, I think, uh, consider and, and decide what's the best way to describe our thinking around the future path of a monetary policy uh, and link that, obviously, um, to our uh, you know, objectives of, of you know, achieving the maximum employment and, and price stability goals that we have. Now, on inflation, something that's interesting that we're hearing from other Fed officials is where do you shoot? Uh, the target, as we know, is 2% for the Federal Reserve. But what we've seen over the past recovery since 2008 is that uh, that has been undershot. Um, it's been hard to kind of stimulate uh, inflation. How does that guide your thinking for when to maybe lift off? I know you're not thinking about thinking about raising rates, but <laughs> when to lift off over some time. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. This is not the time to think about liftoff or normalization or all those words. But uh, in terms of your actual question around inflation, I mean, the goal here is you know, we want inflation to be you know, anchored at 2% where people, when, you know, the way I think about it is if a, uh, you know, re a regular person or a business person is thinking, what's inflation likely to be over the time period of the loan I take or the mortgage I take or the car loan? You know, what's the inflation rate I should think about? And, and I want that to be 2% for everybody. And that's what we need to deliver over time is this 2% inflation. And as you pointed out, that's been harder to do than to say. Uh, and I would argue that much of that is because of this issue of the, the lower bound on interest rates and the limited ability in a, in a global situation of very low interest rates uh, to really provide the uh, accommodation or stimulus that's needed to boost the economy and, and get inflation back up to what we want. So my view is, is pretty simple. I want inflation, uh, people to understand that inflation will be 2% over any uh, longer term horizon. And we just need to both take the actions and communicate them in a way that helps uh, support that. That's been challenging in the past. And obviously that's something that we're thinking hard about how to do for the, the future. So you mentioned that businesses and households too want certainty in the future and something that kind of plays into that is longer term interest rates and something that's been floated is this idea of yield curve control. 
pinning down yields on the, let's say, medium term three or five year treasuries to kind of provide a more a solid guarantee that rates will be lower uh, longer. But as we know, nominal yields are already crazy low for right now. Is there pressure within the Federal Reserve to adopt something like a yield curve control strategy as uh, Fed Governor Lael Brainerd has, has laid out before? Um, what's, your, what's your thought on that? Well, it is something that, you know, obviously uh, we've watched other countries such as Japan and, and, and now Australia use versions of yield curve con uh, control uh, in their policy uh, strategies. So we're obviously we study that and under try to understand that. Uh, I go back to this comment I made earlier. You know, for us, it's really identifying what's the problem we're trying to solve in terms of communicating our, our policy actions. I do think that forward guidance has proven to be very powerful and effective. It's something that you know, I think will be uh, the core of our communication around policy, along with our uh, economic projections and other speeches and, and press conferences that together, I think, paint a, a clear picture of what success looks like for monetary policy and how we're going to take policy actions and get there. I view yield curve control as an interesting uh, topic that we've obviously thought uh, is studied, but uh, it would be really probably best used in a situation where we found that our forward guidance and our other communications uh, wasn't being as effective uh, uh, as we would like. So, you know, I, I think of it as a, a potential tool, but not necessarily a tool for uh, you know, any, you know, any specific uh, uh, situation. Really, for, I would think of a forward guidance and obviously think of asset purchases as our two primary tools to provide extra stimulus when the economy uh, needs that. So when we were moving, part of all this was that the Federal Reserve was midway through a review of its toolkit, an audit, if you will, uh, when this COVID-19 crisis happened. I know that the Fed has tabled that, but we did get the findings and a summary of that Fed Listens uh, conference series that you had been doing over the past uh, year or so. I'm wondering, are, are you waiting to wrap up that review and announce the findings of that before then announcing your strategy for forward guidance or, or even something like yield curve control? Well, clearly this has been a really important initiative at the Federal Reserve or the FOMC that uh, Chair Powell has, has led. And, and I think it's an absolutely essential thing for us to once again review uh, very carefully both our tools, as you said, our overall framework and how to best achieve our maximum employment and price stability goal. So I've been a big supporter of that. I think we made a lot of progress. Uh, you know, I hope that we'll be able to, to roll that out later this year. And I do think it's an important uh, part of, of explaining to the public, uh, you know, how the world has changed. I would argue personally that the lower neutral rate of interest or lower interest rates globally that we've seen in the past couple of decades has been a fundamental change in thinking about monetary policy strategy. Other developments have changed since 2012 when we first put in the, the, uh, the framework statement that we have currently. Uh, you know, I do call, have called for this uh, rethink of, of this strategy. So, you know, I'm a big proponent of that and I'm hoping that we'll be able to roll that out later in the year. And I do think of it as an important part of our communication package. You, you know, the way I think of it is like, you know, you have this, you know, the strategy at the top, we obviously have our maximum employment price stability goals. Those are written into law. How do we define those and, and how do we define success? And then what are our, our preferred tools and approaches to achieve that? Now, the actual specific actions and tactics, those obviously have to be decided depending on circumstances at the committee and will come out in, in statements and decisions. So uh, let's switch gears to the Federal Reserve's liquidity facility. Something that's been in view has been the corporate bond purchases through the primary and secondary market corporate credit facilities, which the New York Fed uh, does operate. 
for those that are watching from the outside and people who are not Fed insiders, um, they're wondering why the Federal Reserve is buying bonds in Apple or AT&T, for example. Uh, could you, I guess, briefly explain what the Fed's thinking is in doing that? And I know that it's been mentioned that the Fed could stop that if market functioning resumes. When would that be, in your view, based on what you're seeing so far? Well, first of all, you do have to roll back uh, time to March <laughs> to understand, I think, really the context that we are operating in. Right now, you know, markets are uh, functioning really well, uh, and I'll come back to that point. So right now, you might look around and say, you know, why is the Fed doing all this? Things look pretty good in terms of market conditions. I do think you have to remember that, you know, we are taking a lot of actions and uh, strong and decisive actions that I think have importantly helped to get us to the point we're at today. And uh, given the uncertainty of the outlook, you know, we need to continue to be in, in those positions uh, to support market functioning going forward. So going back to March or even April, uh, we saw, you know, the core uh, parts of the financial system, the treasury market, the mortgage-backed uh, security market, and the corporate bond market and others really become uh, disrupted and in a lot of turmoil. And if those markets uh, stop functioning, then credit basically stops flowing to, to businesses, households, and others. So when you get to the corporate credit facility, we really saw the, the corporate bond market, uh, you know, uh, the liquidity drying up, the market kind of shutting down. Uh, and that would have shut off credit to a large employers in the United States, which would have had, I think, devastating effects on, on jobs and the economy. Uh, and really our goal here is to, to, in the secondary market facility, is to make sure that these markets are functioning and they're liquid. And so we're buying a very broad-based uh, set of, of securities that meet the, uh, uh, the eligibility requirements. And we're basically in there not picking winners and losers at all, buying broadly across the market so that markets continue to work and that businesses continue to fund themselves. Now, actually, this program, we bought relatively uh, small numbers of uh, bonds in, uh, uh, in the market, uh, and we, the primary market facility hasn't had, you know, any uh, uh, uptake yet. But what's happened is that I think, you know, two things have happened. One is it's helped restore confidence that the markets are functioning, and that if you're buying a bond, you'll be able to sell it to somebody later on. Uh, and it's a backstop if the conditions get much worse, that people know that the Fed is there to help support uh, functioning of markets and the, and the flow of credit. So even though we're not getting a lot of uptake from our facilities today, even though we're not having to buy a lot of bonds uh, and because markets are functioning well, I think it does play an important uh, kind of what I would think of as keeping confidence and uh, that uh, good state of the world uh, in place so that credit continues to flow to, to businesses. Uh, in terms of your question about adjusting, we have been adjusting our purchases in the secondary market as the market functioning has improved. We've, we've, we've been you know, able to step back in our purchases uh, and any future decisions and adjustments will obviously be based on how markets are performing. But um, right now, you know, we, we're actually buying a relatively small amount. So one other market that's been in view has been repo. And what's been interesting and maybe not as highlighted as the corporate credit facilities is the fact that repo balances from the Fed balance sheet uh, went down to zero as of July 8th, um, based on the most recent balance sheet print from the board. Uh, I guess I'm wondering, there has been concern, as we saw, not even just from COVID-19, but from the September episode, that maybe there's not enough funding out there uh, in the banking industry. And there's been fixes proposed, like maybe changing the regulation known as the GSIP surcharge or perhaps uh, actually directly lending, the New York Fed being, uh, repo funds to hedge funds. Is, is that something that you're entertaining? I know you talked about that earlier this morning, but what, what's your thinking on that? Well, you know, I do think that the experience of September, where we saw a disruption in the, in the repo market, 
Uh, I know September seems like years ago, but it's less than a year ago. <laughs> and then in March, where which was an extraordinary shock with the pandemic, we've seen disruptions in the Treasury and related markets. This is clearly, uh, you know, part of I think the you know will be studied very carefully, not only by the Federal Reserve but by others. And you know, academic uh, thought leaders are already thinking about is there better ways to to build a better mousetrap around how these markets function and things. Today is not the time to solve that problem. We're obviously still in a crisis and we're focused on, you know, uh, you know keeping things uh, running smoothly and, and keeping the markets uh, functioning well. But I do think like the financial crisis over the next few years, there'll be a lot of thought uh, and study given to how to best, you know, organize and uh, how to best, uh, uh, you know, carry out uh, kind of the core functions in, in these markets. Right now, they're, they're, you know, they're functioning really well. The reason no one's coming to our our repo uh, repos is because liquidity is is ample. Uh, markets are functioning well, and, and so right now things are, are very good. But I do think this will be an opportunity over the next couple of years for people to think hard about how do we make sure we have a strong financial system, especially in this very core area of the so treasury market. The rolling off of repo has brought the Fed balance sheet down, not by a lot, but it did tick back below seven trillion dollars. Um, but a big picture. Right. I, I want to ask a big picture question. This is something that former Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke has written extensively about the idea of the credit channel versus the traditional channel of interest rate policy. Uh, as we've seen from the episode after 2008, the Federal Reserve has, has not been able to get the balance sheet maybe back down uh, to the level that it had hoped maybe out of the uh, QE program. So I'm wondering, is this just a permanent part of the Fed's toolkit, uh, its balance sheet? Has the credit channel taken on a much more active role in monetary policy relative to just levering interest rates? Well, I, you know, I, I, as I said in my remarks actually earlier today, uh, when you go back to 1913 and before that, when the discussion happened in the United States about whether we should have a central bank or not, I mean, it really was about financial panics and crises that led to severe recessions and depressions, which were unfortunately common in the late 19th century and happened again in 1907. I, I, in the modern era, including you know most of my career, you know we think of monetary policy as setting interest rates. But you know more traditionally, going back to the founding of the Fed and through various crises, uh, providing liquidity to markets, supporting market functioning, and supporting the flow supporting the flow of credit in a general way, not in terms of making you know choosing winners and losers, but providing support overall to to, to uh, market functioning and credit flow. I think is a core function of a central bank and. Uh, something that, you know, when we saw the situation happen in September, uh, when markets weren't functioning, repo markets weren't functioning well, we acted quickly, decisively, similarly in March. That's what a central bank can do that nobody else can do, uh, act in that way. Um, and I think that's an important uh, role for us because in an uncertain world, you never, you know, you, uh, you never know what's going to happen. So therefore having the central bank, the Fed in this case, be able to step in and and make sure the markets are liquid and operating, I think is, is absolutely critical. And John, last question here. Um, when you talk to households or businesses in your district, what's your recommendation for them to do their part right now? I mean, I'm not a money center bank or a primary dealer, but what can I do? What can people on the street, what can business owners do right now uh, to be part of this healthcare? What is primarily a health response here? Is it wearing a mask? Are there economic things that you're thinking about that people can do in their everyday behaviors? Yeah, now, my wife is a healthcare expert, and so she will really not like it if I answer a healthcare advice. Uh, but I will tell you that you know, I, you know, I've said this earlier in a speech that you know, we, we are on a, a narrow path of, of how to get our economy back on track and how to do that safely uh, and, and, you know, in terms of the pandemic. 
and I think that those two are complementary. Often in the debate that you hear, it, it's like, should we get the economy back or should we, you know, uh, uh, deal with the pandemic? You actually have to have both happen. And we're seeing that in parts of the country where if people are not, uh, if people feel unsafe, uh, because of COVID, they're not going to go into restaurants. They're not going to go into businesses. So what we need uh, really is to have both of these happening and supporting each other. People behaving safely, um, businesses operating safely in a way that supports confidence. I mean, confidence is absolutely critical. And at the same time, uh, people kept being, you know, when that's under those conditions, being willing to go out and uh, actively participate in the economy. We're, we're going to get there. Uh, I'm confident of that. It's just going to it's going to take time, and as we're seeing, it's uh, uh, it's a it's a you know it's a situation that changes. It's in flux all the time, but I'm confident that we'll we'll get there over the next uh, couple of years, get this economy back uh, to full strength. All right. Well, I hope she'll be satisfied with that answer. But uh, again, New York Fed uh, President John Williams joining us here on Yahoo Finance. Thanks so much for stopping by today. Great to be with you.